0: Hi guys and welcome to the Research Zone podcast, the podcast where we aim to make sense of youth mental health research. Each week we will talk to a different researcher to learn about their research project, discussing the why, what, where, when and how of their research and most importantly how this can benefit us as young people. All the relevant links will be in the show notes so please do check them out if you're interested in today's topic. Without further ado let's meet today's guest. Hi guys, I'm Lizzie, and welcome to another episode of the Research Zone podcast. Today, I'm joined by Claire. Claire, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you research?
1: Sure. Um, so my name is Claire Goodfellow, and I am currently working at the Social and Public Health Sciences Unit at the University of Glasgow. Um, and all of my work focuses on adolescent mental health and how we can sort of use public health to support young people's mental health and well-being. And yeah, I'll tell you a little bit more about some of my research projects uh, as we go on. So.
0: Brilliant. So um, can you give us a little summary of the research that you'll be talking about today?
1: Sure. So I'm actually going to talk to you today about my PhD research. So something I've spent a lot of time, a lot of time going over. So what I looked at for my PhD was things that might help and hinder young people for seeking help for a mental health problem. And the reason I wanted to do that was because we know that adolescence is a really kind of a vulnerable time for developing a mental health problem. And we also know that the rates of poor mental health among young people are going up. But what we also know is that the amount of young people seeking help is actually quite low. So there's something called like a treatment gap. So the amount of people seeking help is much uh, less than the amount of people that we think are actually experiencing poor mental health. So I kind of just wanted to see what it was that was kind of stopping young people from speaking out. And so obviously one of the big things that came up was stigma. So stigma is a really real, a really real experience for people who are going through a mental health problem. And that does inhibit young people's willingness to ask for help. And I also looked into something called mental health literacy, which is just kind of a fancy academic way of lumping together what young people might know about mental health, mental health problems. And so I looked at how those, uh, how stigma and mental health literacy might interact in informing people's willingness to ask for help, both from kind of formal avenues like a doctor or um, uh, psychological services, and sort of informally as well. So a lot of research doesn't look at informal help seeking. So. I was interested in how willing young people would be to speak to friends and family and so on. So I looked at um, young people's personal stigma, uh, which is just the amount of stigma that that young person himself might have towards mental health, our mental health problems. And I looked at the amount of stigma they perceive from other people. So I looked at perceived stigma from parents and perceived stigma from friends because I was interested to see if either of those groups were kind of more or less influential when young people are thinking about asking for help. And I mentioned mental health literacy. But actually in kind of the scientific literature, that's often described as being comprised of like different chunks of knowledge. So knowledge about what causes mental health problems or knowledge about how to seek help for them or knowledge about treatment and so on. But in the kind of the research that's already existing, when they measure mental health literacy amongst people, they just kind of give an overall score. And so we don't really know which different chunks of that kind of literacy is really useful for help-seeking and what might be less useful. And so in the work that I did with young people, I did surveys with nearly 750 young people, and they were based in kind of uh, urban areas across Scotland. And I was able to identify that young people had, around the data that I collected, there was two kinds of forms of mental health literacy that were coming out. And one was young people's knowledge of effective treatments, and one was young people's ability to sort of say what is and what isn't a mental health problem. So whether they knew that schizophrenia was a mental health problem, where something like stress or grief might not be. What was actually really interesting was that while a good knowledge of knowing what good and effective treatments were, that was associated with an increased willingness to seek help. Actually, the more young people knew about specific mental health diagnoses, the less likely they were to seek help. And I think traditionally it's been thought that, you know, all knowledge is good knowledge. And we should be teaching everything about mental health to young people. So we kind of expected that all forms of mental health literacy would be good and they would help young people feel empowered to speak up and ask for help. But it's not the case. And what else was quite interesting in my research was actually young people's own kind of personal stigma beliefs. They don't, they're not that important for help seeking. They don't really influence it that much. But what they think other people think about mental health problems is really important and if they perceive a lot of stigma from their parents or from their friends they're much less likely to seek help and so that does have a few kind of implications for how we teach young people about mental health in schools but that's maybe something we can chat about um, a little bit later so yeah that was probably a long short introduction to my research but hopefully that gives a good a good idea of what it was about so.
0: That was a very very good in-depth summary so I guess the first question would be Obviously, with your PhD, you've got free choice. Why did you decide that stigma and mental health literacy would be an important area to research? Yeah,
1: sure. So that's, I mean, that's probably a few different things. Partly some of the work that I've done before. So before I did my PhD, I was working in the NHS in sort of psychological services. And during my master's degree, I'd also worked with young people. So I'd done research into adolescent mental health. And I think that's an area of research that I was really interested in. Because I think that young people's mental health is such a public health priority and there's a lot that really needs to be done to ensure that young people are being supported and getting the help that they need. And I just think, you know, it's a really interesting part of research being be involved in because it feels like as a researcher, it's an area of mental health where you can really make an impact by sort of looking at young people and how you can, I don't know, do some, do some work with young people and sort of help support their mental health before it worsens into adulthood and so on. So, I think there was, I knew that I wanted to work with adolescents and do work around there. And then I think just an awareness, as I said already, that young people's mental health is an increase in the amount of poor mental health amongst young people that's actually quite worrying. And so I was just interested in how we can help support behaviors around asking for help when it's needed. And again, trying to minimize that stigma and that shame around mental health. And, you know, when you start researching stigma, it's something that comes much more complicated and it's, you know, it can get very scientific. But I think when you actually read, what young people have to say about their experiences of stigma, it's its really real and it's really damaging. So I think there was a report out that I think it was a few years ago now by Time to Change maybe and they said that over three quarters of young people that have a mental health problem do experience stigma or discrimination yeah. in some way and that can result in things like missing days at school, not wanting to seek help and therefore your mental health gets worse and so on. So I think for me, yeah, it was just kind of trying to tackle that stigma and mental health and it's something that's kind of close to my heart so yeah I think that was I was kind of driven towards like what can I as a researcher do with my skills and my knowledge to kind of find out more about it and then sort of you know find out more about how to encourage young people to ask for help
0: definitely and I think if you pick something you're passionate about it makes it a lot easier and it also makes it a lot more what's the word like you're a lot more driven to do it I guess is what yeah. I say. so in terms of like the actual research then how did mm-hmm. you design and conduct it?
1: Yeah, it's really a question. So I was looking, I had some really supportive supervisors who kind of walked me through everything because things I didn't know about doing a PhD before you do it is that it's really an apprenticeship and becoming a researcher. So you don't really know how to do research when you go in and you kind of pick it up as you go. So for me, I kind of wanted to ask as many young people as I could about their stigma beliefs and what they knew about mental health problems and so on. And so we thought the best way to do that would be to do um, a survey in schools. And so I had approached I think, you know, hundreds and hundreds of schools in Scotland, so I think they were probably bored of hearing from me at some point. And luckily, I think I had 10 schools in the end whose head teachers were really supportive of mental health and kind of wanted to do some research around mental health. And they allowed me to come into their schools and I worked with, I gave surveys to young people from the age of 12 up until 17. So I got a nice cross section of different ages, uh, which was really helpful for me when I was designing the survey, I just had to pick kind of different ways to measure stigma and different ways to measure help seeking. And so I found different kind of questionnaires that are designed to measure those things. But what was actually quite interesting for me as a stigma researcher was that there's no, there's only one kind of existing tool or questionnaire that measures stigma amongst young people. And it wasn't actually measuring it exactly what I wanted to measure. So it was asking young people about their own stigma beliefs and it was asking them about perceived stigma that they kind of. Believe exists out there, but it was really broad and it was just saying, you know, to what extent do you think most people um, think that people with mental health problems are dangerous and so on? And as I said before, I was really interested in looking at stigma from those specific groups. And so um, I adapted the questionnaire and just asked the same questions, but, you know, to what extent do you believe that your friends think people with mental health problems are, are this? Or what extent do you think pe- your parents? Believe that people with mental health problems are this to try and get a hold of how much they thought their friends and their parents had these kind of stigmatizing beliefs. And I think the most fun part of the research for me was actually piloting the questionnaire. So I just wanted to make sure that young people kind of understood all the questions and that it was accessible and just kind of practically like how long it would take me in a classroom to run it. But I also was kind of going into this with an awareness that I was I was not I was not a teenager and I've worked in mental health for a long time and so. I was asking young people about stigma towards mental health problems but actually you know I knew what I thought mental health problems meant but I didn't know what young people might think that that term meant so I worked with maybe 15 to 20 young people across the country actually and just asked them to answer the question what does the phrase mental health problems mean to you and I got some brilliant responses so I think I had you know someone who was maybe 13 or 14 giving very neuroscientific answers about you know I think mental health problems are, you know, dysregulation of the prefrontal cortex. And I was very impressed. And then, you know, there was a wide range of things as well, like I think it's, you know, when your brain doesn't work properly, or a lot of lists of kind of different mental health conditions, so depression and anxiety and so on. And then yeah, a few slant terms that weren't super helpful and <laughs> in terms of, you know, I couldn't really use them in my research, but it did sort of flag to me that the stigma towards mental health was still out there. And so I found that really interesting working with young people and then coming up with this kind of definition of what mental health problems was and then using that for research so yeah a small group of working kind of more in-depth with young people and then just going to different schools across scotland and you know going old school with a, a paper and pen kind of questionnaire and then carrying around you know hundreds and hundreds of pages of notebooks and things so yeah it was just about kind of identifying ways of asking about these things that were designed specifically for young people and if they weren't designed specifically for young people and just adapting it and making sure that it was it was well understood
0: That sounds really good. And I really love that question about asking young people what mental health problems mean to them, because Mm -hmm. that's not something that I've ever really thought about before. And I'm not sure I'd know how to articulate it very well, but I feel like it's just one of those things that people seem to acquire their own definition of, but no one really kind of talks about it.
1: Yeah, and I think that's, you see that a lot, I think, maybe in the press or the media, is people say the phrase mental health, and what they really mean is mental health problems and things. Yes. Um, yeah, which is a bit of a bugbear of mine. Uh, so yeah, I just thought, you know, I it would be really important to understand what young people's understanding of it was. And I think, you know, there's other people that are doing that around stigma. So there's a colleague of mine that's asking young people, you know, what does stigma mean to you? And it's actually not a word that young people use very often. It's kind of something that, you know people like myself like a researcher or maybe you know your GP or something would use but it's not a phrase that's used a lot amongst young people so there's more work to be done in kind of you know having young people involved and getting an understanding of what it is that they understand by these terms that we as researchers or clinicians kind of use quite often and so I think it's good that we check in with young people and just make sure that we're all on the same page in terms of these really important ideas so
0: Definitely and I think young people tend to kind of come up with their own words for things but then having like a shared understanding is so important just so you can like communicate with them. Um, So that was how you did the research but what did you find from all these questionnaires that you did? Sure. So yeah, some of the more kind of straightforward findings
1: was that amongst boys, stigma is much higher than amongst girls, which is kind of what we'd expect and kind of what was already known. And actually girls had higher mental health literacy than boys. But that's also kind of, you know, if you look at the research that's already out there, we know that girls tend to be more willing to ask for help than boys. I didn't actually find that in my study when I looked at young people. I think boys and girls were no different in terms of their willingness to ask for help. I'm not sure exactly where that was. My best guess is that I asked quite um you know from 12 to 18 year olds. So it was a um sort of a wider age group than is normally looked at in research. So quite often it's you know 16, 17, 18. And older adolescents might have different different ideas about help seeking than younger ones. So so yeah, and I think what was quite worrying was that when I looked at informal help seeking, that was you know, people who grew up in the most kind of deprived areas, or who were going to school in really deprived areas, were much less likely to seek informal help. Which is also important because I did find in my research that people who ask for help informally are therefore much more likely to ask for formal help. And um, so I think if young people aren't asking for help from their teachers or mum and dad or friends, then it's kind of the first barrier to them getting sort of appropriate help should they need. It in terms of kind of the bigger the bigger findings, I kind of touched on this at the start, but actually personal stigma amongst adolescents and and teenagers is actually quite low and so young people don't tend to have super stigmatizing beliefs towards people with mental health problems and they and while they kind of reported similar levels of perceived stigma from their parents and from their friends when I looked at how mental health literacy and stigma and help seeking how they all interacted those who kind of thought that they had a higher level of stigma from from their parents were much less likely to ask for help and the same for those who were much more likely to report higher stigma from their friends also much more likely to ask for help. And so, I think that kind of ties into adolescence being this kind of time where what others think is really important. And so, I think the message is getting through that mental health is kind of um, something that our mental health problems and so on is something that we'll all experience. And it's kind of reaching towards being normalized, especially kind of the more common mental health problems like depression and anxiety. But actually, there's still that fear that, that they'll be judged for being different or being seen as being other. And that's actually really damaging to young people's willingness to seek help. In terms of mental health literacy, again, I kind of touched on this before, but there's been really little work done and looking at how different sort of like I say the different little chunks of knowledge how they might impact on help seeking and so what I found was that young people who knew more about effective treatments so things like medication or psychotherapy the more they knew about them the more likely they were to ask for help and those that were more able to identify things like depression or schizophrenia or bipolar disorder and so on as being a mental health problem they were much less likely to seek help and so I think that's kind of important for how we speak about mental health in schools and maybe that we should stop looking at it as kind of as mental health being um, a diagnosis and a problem. And also maybe we need to shift to looking at mental health as, um, look at the more positive aspects of it and look at mental health as a spectrum. So some days it's good and some days it's bad and sometimes it's. It gets bad to the point where you need to ask for help for it. So yeah, I think that was from the, the sciencey kind of point of view. I think it's rare for people to look at those different aspects of mental health literacy, and quite often I think it's easy to make the assumption that all kinds of knowledge around mental health is good and it's helpful, but that might not necessarily be the case. And so I think that's something that I'd kind of like to look into further, and it's probably something that let's try and work with policymakers and so on to try and inform how they might want to how they might want to speak to young people. In schools and kind of more generally about mental health, and mental health problems. So, um, so yeah, essentially, your own stigma doesn't really impact your help seeking, but it's the views of other people. And it's probably better to be teaching young people about treatment and recovery rather than about specific diagnoses in general. So,
0: that's really interesting in that if they could label those mm-hmm. more severe conditions, that they mm-hmm. were less likely to seek help. Why do you think that was? Did the research give any indication?
1: Yeah, so I mean, it would be really interesting actually to follow this up and ask, because my suspicion is that the kind of questions out that were in the questionnaire that I was asking were asking around, you know, do you think schizophrenia is a mental health condition? And I think the other ones were bipolar and depression and so on. So some of them were quite severe, you know, what we'd call a severe mental illness rather than a mental health problem. And I think there is, in fact, a lot more stigma around those conditions now, so I think, like I say, I touched on this a little bit earlier, but things like depression, anxiety are kind of becoming a little bit more normalised, and there's a little bit less stigma around those. It's still there, but it's less than it was. And so I think things like schizophrenia and so on, there's still a lot of stigma there, and so that stigma is then, and it might also be that those things seem quite scary to young people. And so I think that's why it's also really important then to teach young people about treatment and recovery, because then it's saying that you know, if you do experience problematic mental health or mental illness, there are ways to treat and manage that, and it's. It's not a life sentence and it's something that it can happen and it can be managed. And so, yeah, so I think that kind of knowledge of specific diagnoses might not be the most helpful way because I think it might have this kind of side effect almost of encouraging stigma. And sometimes I think talking about mental health in that kind of way or mental health problems and mental illness, it's still sort of reinforcing the idea that that's you know different from the norm. And so it's almost like you know having special classes on it is almost reinforcing the stigma that this is something different and it's something that we need to know about. And so this is where I think that it is really important to kind of, you know, it's important to teach young people what mental health problems are, but I think it's also important to teach, like I say, those important lessons around treatment and recovery. And actually during my PhD, I was lucky to spend some time in Finland and I worked with the Mental Health Foundation there. And they have this great way of teaching mental health in schools where they have compulsory lessons on mental health and kind of emotional well-being. And they have that in their curriculum from kind of nursery and preschool all the way to the end of high school. And it's not necessarily teaching young people about problems or illness. Um, It's kind of teaching that, you know, we all have mental health and some days it'll feel really strong and healthy. And some days I might feel a bit like I need to speak to someone and that's kind of okay. And so as a stigma researcher, I just think that that's, such a great thing to do because it's really normalizing those shifts in your mental well-being and it's kind of making it something that we all have and it's keeping the dialogue around mental health and mental illness kind of open and it's not really hiding anything so um, I've gone off on a tangent now but I really enjoyed my time in Finland because it was really interesting to learn about how they teach and how they promote mental well-being in schools.
0: Definitely and I think that's so interesting to hear about how other countries do it because I think here although like they call them mental health lessons but they are Mm -hmm. about mental illness and I feel like distinguishing between mental health and mental Mm -hmm. illness is really important because we all have mental health but hopefully not all of us will have mental illness so it's kind of looking at the factors that can keep us in the mental health bracket and not tip us into the mental illness one. Fab. So, what do you think the real-world implications are for this? Obviously, you mentioned about schools and policymakers, but is there anything else that you think your research might affect?
1: I mean, I think the kind of conclusions that I drew were mostly kind of relating to schools and things. And I think part of that is that it's really important to have young people involved in teaching around mental health and research around mental health. So, I suggested that because we found that you know young people were kind of fearful of these negative evaluations by their friends, that actually what might be helpful is to have kind of peer-led sessions around mental health and so you can have older peoples or kind of students who are the same age and you can have these kind of peer-led discussions around mental health and well-being and so the idea behind that was you know like I said before personal stigma is actually really low so if you were to ask a bunch of you know people in, in high school if they have stigma towards a mental health problem it's going to be quite low but I think Young people don't really know that. They expect that everyone's going to think that everyone else has high stigma. So I think if you have these conversations in your peer groups or in your schools that's not led by, you know, someone like me or by your teacher that's actually kind of this group discussion, it might help them people realize that, you know, their peer group doesn't actually have you know particularly negative views for stigma on on the whole and I also thought you know it might be quite interesting to have parents involved in this kind of approach so there's something called the whole school approach to mental health which is where everyone from the teaching staff to the janitor to the kitchen staff have got training in mental health and I thought it might not be too much of a leap to actually include parents in that and kind of do some of what I was saying some kind of the more positive promotion of mental health and well-being and and teaching around that but also to involve parents with a similar idea in that if you know the young person's there and their parents there and they're getting this information about mental health and well-being and mental health problems then they might be able to get a kind of a more realistic view of what their parents levels of stigma towards mental health problems are because it might be that it doesn't exist but what's actually really important is the young person's perception and um, so if the young person is able to see that you know, their mom and dad are getting this education towards mental health problems and they're having these conversations together, it might be a good way to reduce that kind of stigma. It might be that adolescents and teenagers hate the idea of bringing mom and dad to school. I'm not sure it's something that I'm going to try and do the next year is just kind of get young people involved in some of the suggestions that I've made. But yeah, and then I think it's a few other things as well. Like I think it's actually really important to be aware of groups of young people who might be much less likely to seek help. And so for my research, that would be kind of boys who have much higher stigma, young people from ethnically diverse backgrounds, who are also much more likely to experience or perceive stigma and also young people who are from more deprived backgrounds and who might also be much less likely to seek help. So I think if we're going to go in and sort of uh, try and support young people it's really important to focus on, on people who fall into those categories or several of those categories and just make sure that they are getting the right information and getting the right support as well. So
0: Definitely. And those sound like such good suggestions. I think you would definitely get a mixed bag of people wanting to bring plants and scone people or not. But I feel like those that did, it could be so, so helpful. And yeah, um, so. so what do you think's next in this area of research?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question, actually. So, I mean, in terms of my own personal research, I this year, I'm hoping to do kind of similar work, but young people who live in rural and remote areas. Just because stigma is a much bigger factor, because I think, you know, your mental health and your mental well-being and so on is a lot more visible when you live in smaller communities. So I'd like to go and work with young people and do some kind of focus groups, maybe, and just ask them about kind of what challenges they face around asking for help for mental health problems and, you know, how willing they would be, you know, if the only help that was available was kind of in the local community and so on. I think a wee bit more work needs to be done in kind of rural areas. But I think in general, actually, stigma research amongst young people, it's we know a lot less about it amongst young people than we do amongst adults because a lot of the work that's been done historically has been amongst, you know, people who are 25 and over. And we just know that, you know, adolescence is a different time of your life. And so stigma might be quite different for young people because, you know, as I said earlier, those kind of it's really important to fit in as a teenager and it's really important that you meet kind of social expectations and things. So if you have a mental health problem, you're not meeting those expectations, it might judge you negatively. But I think what's also important is to look at kind of multiple stigmas. So I know there's some people who are working on kind of developing, you know, a way to measure stigma towards poverty and so on. And so I think that we kind of haven't really looked at people who are you know, experiencing mental illness, um, live in poverty and are from kind of an ethnically diverse background. And we don't really know the impact of those multiple stigmas. So I think it'd be really interesting to kind of look at, you know, people have different spheres of existence and um influence and so on so it's not just their mental health that might be you know impacting on their willingness to speak out it might be other things as well so I think looking at all those kind of different forms of stigma is an important way to go as well there's probably tons of other things I could talk about but um, <laughs> that's what springs to mind um first of all so
0: I yeah, definitely I think multiple stigma is so important because it's like different pieces of the jigsaw puzzle all coming together and if is are looking at one piece they're not going to see like the bigger picture of what's going on yeah. to someone so my final question is mm-hmm. where can people get involved or just find out more about your research
1: yeah sure so I think the easiest way probably would just be to google me so um if you google Claire Goodfellow um, I'm at the University of Glasgow my little profile should pop up um so anyone is willing to email me to find out a little bit more about my research and so on and on my little profile page will be some of my um in research publications and I've done a research brief which is just a way to kind of summarise my PhD but it might be a little bit dull and so I'm actually hoping this year to work again with young people and they can help me come up with some more kind of fun ways to share the research and so if anyone's interested in that you're very welcome to get in touch with me because I'm looking for young people between 12 and 18 to sort of give some input on how to share this research with people including other young people so yeah that'd be great just you know send me an email get in touch I'm also on Twitter if anyone wants to send me a message there as well so Uh,
0: thank you so much Claire thank you so much for listening we really hope you got something from today's conversation and some nuggets of wisdom you can utilize to manage your own mental health this is a podcast made by young people for young people so if you liked it then please do follow us on socials and let us know about any future topics you would like to see we hope you have a wonderful week and most importantly take care of yourself